Good morning, everybody. Um, it's actually quite hard to preach on four verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. And it talks about, uh, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. There's another little uh, reading from the epistle to the uh, Colossians, or sorry, to the Ephesians, uh, which we read in the earlier service. I just want to take a few truths from it as well, just to try and give a bit of a, a background to this. Um, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made anew in the attitude of your minds, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, do not let the sun go down when you're still angry. Do not give the devil a false a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. Uh, it also talks about do not unwholesome let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, this passage, it's not actually about specifically gossip or taming of the tongue. Um, it has been said that we, we maybe speak a lot of untruths. Uh, even in church, we speak untruths, but we put them to nice music. Uh, if you think of the hymns and the songs that we sing, Sometimes they talk about a spirituality which is not always within our lives. And that's really part of this sermon series, keeping our words simple and helpful, uh, keeping the real things in our lives, the spiritual disciplines. The current sermon series seeks to equip you with the sacred rhythms for life, with spiritual disciplines, looking at how to simplify our lives to the things that matter, things like fasting and prayer, decluttering our lives, knowing our place in God's creation, tithing, working with integrity. Today our passage deals with simplicity over talk, to say what we mean and mean what we say. And what we seek from the front here is not to introduce more rules or more regulations for the people of God, because this is an opportunity, not a burden. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for burdening the people and he says, you're giving them a burden that they cannot bear and you're not helping them. That's not what this is about. But this is an opportunity to get into God's presence. Uh, and we were also reminded in Ephesians 4 that the job of, of the minister, the rector, is to equip his people for works of service. And I'd also go as far as to say the service of work. And that uh, many of us have lives that are quite busy. We work in the nine to five. Uh, and uh, it is difficult to bring the integrity and the realness of God's presence into each situation that we're in. Uh, there's a little verse which uh, I like to go back to. Revival, question mark. No, not yet, alas, we held on to that dream so tight and now we live in the nine to five and struggle just to do what's right. It's both, isn't it? We want revival, we desire revival for Bangor, but sometimes the nine to five is a big enough challenge in itself in that how do we bring the presence of God into all the areas of our lives. Um, and Jesus, if you remember, was a carpenter. I like to think of him before the age of 30, trying to get his work done on time, trying to fulfill orders, trying to keep his customers happy, trying to look after maybe uh, aged parents or whatever, all the things that we also have to do. Remember that Paul was, was possibly a rabbi before he went into uh, full-time ministry when he had the Damascus Road experience. Um, I think too of um, the Methodist John Wesley. A lot of his sermons he wrote on horseback. Uh, and John Calvin, 
who wrote the Institute of the Christian Religion, uh, wrote this in a noisy household uh, with children. Now, before you ask, I don't think John Calvin did a lot of housework, uh, but that's the sort of things that, that we have to juggle as well. Leo Tolstoy, uh, author of uh, War and Peace and Anna Karenina, uh, once said, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing himself. Everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing himself. And what we've also learned from our sermon series is that the Jesus way is that by changing ourselves, we do actually change humanity. And that's the wonderful truth of this, that it's through our hearts that Jesus changes the world. I'm reminded that Jesus didn't say a lot against slavery, but by changing people's hearts, uh, he proved that there was nowhere for slavery to hide and it was eventually abolished. As Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, writes, these are not a set of pious exercises for the devout, but a trumpet call to obedient living in a sin-racked world. They call us to wage peace in a world obsessed with war, to plead for justice in a world plagued with inequity, to stand with the poor and disinherited in a world that has forgotten its neighbor. You see, it's in the reality of our lives that people see Jesus. In the words of D. Trueblood, the greatest problems of our time are not technological. For these we handle fairly well. They are not even political or economic because the difficulties in these areas, glaring as they may be, are largely derivative. In other words, we, we can normally find some way of solving them. But the greatest problems are moral and spiritual. And unless we can make some progress in these realms, we may not even survive. This is how advanced cultures have declined in the past. Any historians among us will know that a lot of the great empires of the world uh, disintegrated from the inside where there was moral decline. I think too of the budget last week and so much money, so much taxpayers' money goes into social services and the NHS, which I would fully support. We do want to uh, assist those without a job or uh, with, with young children or in whatever sickness they might find themselves in. But we're also aware that a lot of the, the problems in life uh, are created you know, through situations that uh, a moral society uh, would reduce. Uh, we hope that a lot of the, the, the issues and the ills of society, uh, through a real change in attitude, a change in, in coming back to Christ, a lot of these would diminish. The purpose of the spiritual disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. Isn't it true? I mean, the, the materialism that we see uh, around us, and that, that we are um, susceptible to ourselves, it, it traps us into needing the newest thing, desiring the newest thing, and thinking that somehow that will bring peace and bring happiness. But in the end, it brings dissatisfaction and loneliness. Whereas what we have here, what we have in Christ, doesn't bring loneliness because we have a loving Heavenly Father and we have community. We are a community of forgiven sinners who have understood and accepted the grace of God. And when we start to feel that, we have freedom to sing and dance. As Psalm 42 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Deep calls to deep. There's super, something deeper in our need that is not satisfied by what the world has to offer. Isaiah 57 says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot rest. 
and its waters toss up mire and dirt. The interesting thing about the sea is it doesn't have to get all this into it. It's already there. And just through the general rolling of the sea, all this comes to the surface. And it's the same with sin in our lives. There's plenty of it there. And it just comes to the surface, sometimes through the things we say or the things that we do. Our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sins is to launch a full frontal attack. We decide that by our wills we're going to beat this. We pray against it, or we stand against it, we fight against it, we set our will against it. And it can be many things. It can be anger or fear or bitterness, gluttony, pride or lust, substance abuse, you, you name it, whatever traps you this morning. But the struggle is all in vain when we use our willpower because inevitably we fall back and there's times when we say or do something which betrays our inner uh, need of grace. You see, this external righteousness, we can't keep it up because if our hearts aren't right, our hearts aren't uh, sapping into uh, the fountain of, of Jesus' presence, uh, then as he says himself, this is external righteousness, we become like whitewashed or whitened sepulchers. In other words, we're dead on the inside. In Colossians, Paul lists some of the outward forms that people use to control sin. Touch not, taste not, handle not. But he then adds that these things have a show of wisdom in will worship. This uh, phrase in the King James, will worship, is a telling description. The moment we feel that we can succeed and attain victory over sin by the strength of our will alone is the moment that we're wor worshipping the will and will ultimately fail. It's ironic that Paul's words talking about our most strenuous efforts against sin uh, he warns us that it can be in the wrong things uh, that it can be idolatry and just thinking that we ourselves can beat it will worship can produce an outward show of success for a time but in the cracks and crevices of our lives our deep inner condition will eventually be revealed because jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks he looks at the Pharisees and he says, look, you know, you're doing all these external things, but it's what comes out of your heart that, that tells the true heart. And he says to them, I tell you on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. Every careless word we utter. I don't know about you, I'm starting to make a list and I'm on the second page already. Um, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, every careless word, because it betrays our hearts which aren't right, and by an exercise of our will, we can make a good showing for a time, but ultimately we will fail. We are betrayed by our eyes, our tongue, our chin, our hands, our whole body language. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody's telling you something, but their body's telling you something else? Because they're not genuine, and we don't want to be like that ourselves. So how can we change the heart? In Romans, Paul shows that righteousness is a gift of God and cannot be attained by this human effort. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall reign through the one man, Jesus Christ, he says in Romans 5. Does this mean that we're to sit back and just let God drop this on us? No, that's not the truth either. Because it talks about this disciplined grace. We receive this grace, this free gift, but we need to be ready to receive it. If you think of the farmer preparing his ground, he breaks it up, he plows it, he breaks it up, he harrows it, 
He produces all the right conditions for the seed. The seed is planted, but the farmer doesn't make it grow. The earth and, and the power that God has put it into creation makes it grow. And it's the same with the spiritual disciplines. We need to be putting the ground ready to receive the word, and we let, need to let the righteousness that comes from Christ to grow up within us. This is, uh, as they say in the adverts, the science bit. Uh, you picture a long, narrow ridge with a sheer drop on either side. And on one side, we can fall because we do it all of our own will, and we think that we can get there on our own. And on the other side, it is through inaction we just expect God to drop it on us. But in the middle is this ridge of what this sort of sermon series tries to tap into, these spiritual disciplines, these rhythms of life, these letting Christ into every area of our lives so that these great gifts can grow within us. And you know what they are. They're the gifts of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, all the things that we can't take off each day because we're not getting them. But these are the things that well up within us when we spend time with God and we allow him uh, to work in our lives. See, these spiritual disciplines are for our own good, but we don't turn them into a set of laws either. Uh, our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees if we're trying to do that. Uh, where say, Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, if you're trying to go it on your own, uh, then look at the Pharisees, they're trying to do that. But you have to surpass all the amazing things that they do, all the rituals that they do if you want to try and do that. But by the way, you'll ultimately fail because they are failing. They are whitewashed tombs, but dead on the inside. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. You see, the people of Jesus' day thought that if they didn't mention God, then anything went, and they were okay. But see, what they were doing was they were pushing God out of certain parts of their lives. So if they swear by God, then they have to keep the promise. If they don't, they swear by something else, they don't. But do you see the wrong thinking there? Because God needs to come into every area of our lives. See, plain speech is difficult because we so seldom live out from the divine center. We so seldom know what God wants in each situation because we haven't spent that time with him. But what it says in this passage, if you consent to do a task, do it. Avoid flattery and half-truths. Make honesty and, and integrity the, the distinguishing characteristics of your speech. Don't go into jargon and abstract speculation whose purpose is to obscure and impress rather than to eliminate and inform. In other words, we try to impress people, don't we? But just keep your, 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 your talk simple. And it's easier to be simple and uh, straightforward in our talking when we know what's coming from God, when we know that we've been with him that morning, uh, where we kind of sense his leading and what he would say in a situation, where it's not just what we would want uh, necessarily for our selfish selves. Often fear of what others might think or a hundred other motives determine our yes and no rather than obedience to these divine urgings. And then if a more attractive opportunity comes along, we change it. Oh, oh yes, yes, I promised something, but here's something better, so I have to break that promise. But you see, Jesus is getting right to the center of everything. 
where uh, we try to, to keep things as we say. Uh, they used to say of Mother Teresa that uh, if she said she would do something, she did her best to try and do that. She wanted her word to be one of integrity. So therefore, if somebody may be asked to do something, she might say no because she knew that there was a chance she couldn't fulfill it. And that's really, in essence, really what we're saying here. We try to fulfill what we say that we will do. We live in the presence of God day by day. Now, does it matter? Now, it does. It matters our witness. It matters our nearness to God. It's interesting, the little passage we read from Ephesians, uh, where Paul is talking about behavior and wholesome talk and so on. The Christians at Ephesus, they thought that their uh, adversary was the silversmiths, the silversmiths' union under Demetrius, because they were coming against the Christians. But Paul, in his passage about spiritual warfare, says, no, yes, this is the human side to it, but ultimately there is a greater power coming against the word of God. Principalities, authorities, world rulers of the darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness. You see, we can say, oh, well, we do things because it's our culture. Uh, we might uh, say a half-truth, or we might allow something where our word is not solid because everybody else does it or because there's a culture around us. But we can't do that if the culture occasionally is evil. And we need to be aware of that. And I think that's what Paul's getting at, where he said, look, Demetrius and his people are against us in Ephesus, but it's something deeper behind. There is the, uh, the cosmic battles going on here. There's a hostility from the world to the, the people of Christ. There's rulers of darkness and prince of the air there is this deeper opposition to us. And it will always try to make us compromise. It will always try to make us not true to our word or to try and say something that is not straightforward. You see, we sum it up, simple life, simple talk, simple faith. Don't complicate things. Be true to your word. Be true to the people that you come uh, in contact with each day. How can mere humans grapple with these principalities and powers that Paul talks about? Well, again, it's back to that presence of God. Paul talks about this wonderful righteousness as a gift of grace from God, but we can't, don't get it unless we're actually fostering that, unless we're breaking up the ground so that the seed can be sown and bear fruit. You see, there are negative effects to leading a life in which um, we are conscious of God's presence only part of the time. The people of Jesus' day thought that they could compartmentalize. So yes, they would pray in God's name for the important things, but they would pray in some other name for other things. But that's betraying the fact that their lives were not fully uh, adhering to God. There's several things that, uh, several reasons why we might not say a simple yes or no. We maybe think that we're obliged to verbalize every thought that pops into our head. Uh, we maybe try to impress people. We worry about what others might think of us. We try to win others over to the way that we think. Uh, we try to prove that we're sincere when maybe we're not. So many different reasons for uh, not just simply talking and talking simply. But a lot of these things are not of God because, you know, if the truth is the truth, we don't necessarily need to convince people. There are situations when people are likely to talk too much, when they're afraid of being overlooked when they're nervous and worried about what others might think of them, when they're too worried about defending themselves, uh, when they think that they know all the answers. 
And just be aware of these things in your conversation during the week that sometimes we say too much. Sometimes we say things that are not just as sincere as the simple answer. William Penn, in his description of the Quaker leader, George Fox, said of him, the fewness and fullness of his words have often struck even strangers with admiration. Fewness and fullness, isn't that a nice thing? I wonder what people say of our speech whenever they talk to us. So there's this opportunity here, being in the presence of God, simple talk, simple faith, simple life, fostering the gifts of the Spirit by spending time in the Lord's presence. Here's some homework for the week ahead. At least three times this week, try to answer a question with a simple yes or no. Uh, but you do smile then to the person so that they don't still wait for you to, <laughs> to say something more and it's not an awkward silence. Um, because they might be surprised that you haven't gone on for a few minutes. Um, arrange a day when you can be silent, when you can actually spend time with God and not necessarily need to talk or get your point across. Talk to a friend and ask to be held accountable for the speech habits that are not filled with simplicity. See, using elaborate words or gestures to get your point across or interrupting others or thinking of what you're going to say while others are talking, people notice it and they notice the insecurity that it betrays. But our security is in Christ. We have a loving Father who has forgiven and accepted us. We want to tell other people about him. We want to gossip the gospel. We want to be the fragrance of the gospel in every situation. So we don't always have to be speaking and talking. You know, keep the fullness and the fewness of our words. Maybe also journal about moments when talking is, is distracting rather than helpful. Sometimes, and we can see it in others, but we just need to see it in ourselves, where sometimes we talk too much. And we just need to say what we mean and mean what we say uh, and keep it simple and keep it glorifying to God. So as you begin each day this week, ask God to help you love and respect those who speak to you by engaging only in simple speech. Let us join together in prayer. Let us pray.